Hey, and welcome to Gizmo Sapiens Show 228. I'm Chris, and with me today is... I am Matt. And um, we're going to give another update. We're going to talk about a few things. Uh, pop culture, we're going to start off with. Uh, the when, I, when we last recorded an episode, uh, the, uh, Star Trek Strange New World still had two episodes left. Uh, episodes 9 and 10. 9 being... Uh, Subspace Rhapsody, which was her musical episode, and 10 being Hegemony, which was their season finale. Um, I guess we'll start there. So, I'm going to ask your opinion first of episode 9. Mm-hmm. And, because it is, it, it's a polarizing episode. If you're in any of the groups on Facebook or in Twitter or, or X, as we call it today, um, it'll take a while to stop calling it Twitter. <laughs> but, you know, it, it was polarizing. There's people who love it, and there's people who despise it. They say it's not Star Trek. Um, there's very few people who are in the middle of it. Uh, I'm one of them. Uh, I, I found that the episode was not as... Um degrading and uh, insulting as I anticipated. Now, perhaps that was a low bar, <laughs> but I wasn't terribly offended. No, I, I, so I didn't hate it, but I didn't love it it's either. It's not one of your favorite episodes. It's, no. it's neither one of my favorite episodes either. Um, I probably liked it better than you, but I'm not one of these people who is like, this is the coolest thing since sliced bread and yeah. you know and everything else. Uh, actually, there's a deal breaker in the episode for me. And the deal breaker, I, I actually, I thought the whole episode, the concept was really good. I liked the fact that if we're having a musical episode, they had a technobabble explanation for why it was going on. I thought it made sense that it affected the Federation ships, and you know, it started in the Enterprise, but then spread out into the fleet and all this other stuff. The part that I just I thought was just over the top and broke the whole idea of suspension of belief, you know, which is what you really do in science fiction. When you're really into a science fiction show, there has to be a level of suspension of belief, and, and we've talked about it in the past. You know, I talk about the lack of continuity in the JJ Trek movies, or at least the first one, um, really made it hard to have that suspension of belief and get into it, even though Carl Urban and Chris Pine really put on some great performances as as taking on the Kirk and, and McCoy characters. Um, but when the Klingons got infected, and they're talking to them, and they're they're doing musical, but it seems to me, because it's a continuity issue... Well, it was a missed opportunity, for one. We'll come should, back to that. It should have been done from the Klingon perspective Correct. of the musical. We already have some representation of, you know, when uh, Star Trek... Uh, was it Star Trek Six, and, and General Chang comes in and he says, you know, Shakespeare's best in the original Klingon, um, that we know that they have Klingon opera and that type of thing. Yes. Why was it not 
done that way, and why was it like they were a doo-wop group on the bridge of a Klingon battleship? So this was my uh, my uh, beef with it as well, uh, because uh, well, it, you know Ezra, Ezra and I uh, pretty much the day after an episode, we'll we'll have a conversation. Uh, he hadn't seen it yet when I first talked to him, and I said. There's a there's 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 a scene in it that offended me, not because of the content of it, but because of the missed opportunity to actually bring in some legit opera singers and show us what Klingon opera would have been like. Exactly. Exactly. I would have. I would have that would have been fan service to me. Exactly. That Instead, what they chose to do. Uh, is is just throw a, a, a one-off joke. That episode was episode eight. Exactly. That was the Lower Decks crossover. <laughs> that's, where, that's where the Klingons should have been doing that. Yeah. <laughs> no, absolutely. I totally agree with you. It, it just, I mean, it doesn't ruin the episode for me, and it, it's, uh, it's definitely not, I wouldn't put that in my bottom ten episode. Well, there's, there's not enough episodes. I wouldn't put it in my bottom two episodes. Um, the episode in season one, which is like episode eight, where they do the fairy tale. Yeah, I can't, I, can't, I can't watch can't that. I watched it the first time, and I've gone back. And I was before the second season of SNW started. I was rewatching the first season just to you know get back in the mood. And I got to episode eight, and I got about twenty minutes into it, and I got stuck. And then, and I and because I got stuck and I was determined to watch the season before well the season two started and I never went back and watched the last two episodes which were phenomenal in season one um, this won't cause me to be stuck I will enjoy it again it's you know there's it's a little bit light humor but again they took it in a more serious even though it was kind of lighthearted action that the subspace anomaly caused, in reality, I mean, uh, they, the episode storyline was at least serious, except for that Klingon part, which it, it, I, I can understand where a lot of people were like, that's a deal breaker, you know. Um, but then we move on to episode 10, the season finale, Hegemony. And I already knew this episode was going to be Gorn just by the fact that the Gorn's government is called the Gorn Hegemony. Um, but I actually thought this was a great episode. And all a, uh, you know, season one's cliffhanger. Um, it, but it, I know there are a lot of people who they didn't like um, the way Pike reacted about, um, you know, Captain Battelle, his girlfriend, getting, you know, potentially being dead or whatever. But I actually found that. If you look at Pike's character, or you know his personality that they've developed with Anson Mount over second season of Discovery and the first season of Star Trek SNW, and, and every episode in season two uh, before this episode, it his concern for her because he seems to be very people oriented as even as a captain, he listens to his crew. He he they've done a good job creating Pike to be differentiated from a Picard and a Kirk. You know, when you look at Enterprise captains, and um, and because of that, I 
I did not find him to be weak. I mean, I've seen all these comments that, oh, he was weak because of the way he reacted and all this other stuff. I'm like, he wasn't weak. He was concerned for somebody he loves. He was human. It was great. It was, and I thought it was good acting because if it portrayed it that well, then... Well, the other thing to consider is, is we've not seen an Enterprise captain in a relationship that lasts more than an episode or two. Yeah, well, I mean, we look at it, you, you go back to to Subspace Rhapsody and, and uh, you know, La'an and Kirk have a moment to talk and he tells her about Carol and that she's pregnant and she kind of wants him to go away and, and all this. So we're playing out the whole Star Trek II Wrath of Khan story. Right. And, you know, and, and that was always part of Kirk's. He was a ladies' man, you know. He, he uh, regardless if she was human or not. And, you know, even the J.J. Trek, they had that part of it down, you know, when he was... He was uh, in bed with Uhura's roommate, who was an Orion. Uh, what was her name? Gala? Gala. Yeah. And, um, you know, so that that's always been part of Kirk's character and persona, is is he's always kind of been a ladies' man. Uh, which is, again, totally different than the way they're portraying Pike and the way they portrayed uh, Jean-Luc Picard. Jean-Luc Picard had very serious relationships but he could never completely commit you know that's what you find and and here you now have pike who is committed uh you know they have problems uh which they're trying to work through but they're showing a commitment um my curiosity is is if they're gonna uh keep uh captain battelle in the beginning you know because she is Right now, she is uh, having to go into stasis because there's a Gorn baby growing inside of her because she got infected when the Gorn attacked the planet. So, um, that being said, you know we, we don't know if she's going to you know make it past this, which then clears the way for the Vena story, um, you know, which we know is Pike's ultimate. And I, I don't see them resolving that this soon, though. Is is the thing? Plus. Uh, a lot of people, Melanie Scaram, I think it's Scaramucci or Scaraducci, something like that, uh, who's the actress who plays uh, Captain Battelle, was also in a big sci-fi show before that, and that was, uh, she was Winona Earp. And so uh, I actually like seeing this other side of her because she was kind of an over-the-top, rational character in Winona Earp. Um, and, you know, and showing her chops... Uh, a little bit in, in doing something that's not not the same. She's not being typecast, which I, I kind of like. And frankly, she's um, she's uh, you know developed a real character out of somebody who, in reality, it, by that's the a first season, is a throwaway or, or window dressing, frankly. Yeah. You know, it, when you go to the pilot of, of Strange New Worlds and she's in the opening scene with Pike, well, the real opening scene, not the opener of the show, with Pike, you know, you, you don't think much about, you know, she, she was driving the point, her characters, the whole dialogue she has was, you know, talking to, to Chris Pike about going back to Starfleet. You know, are you going to go back? You know, we really you know, meet people like you, that kind of thing. And, you know, that, so you kind of think that she's a throwaway character, you know. Yeah, she has a relationship with Pike, but 
he's going to get on the Enterprise and go do Strange New World stuff, and you know we aren't going to see her. And, and it's been refreshing to have her be a recurring character with some meaning to it. Uh, I actually, you know, of love interest type characters, I think she's better than uh, than the T'Pring character that they kept bringing back. And I, I, I felt that was really forced, whereas as the Captain Battelle character, it makes sense, you know. And, and they're exploring something that they've never explored in Starfleet before, which is, okay, these senior officers have relationships, but they're having relationships with people who are on other ships because what do regulations say? You can't have a relationship with somebody subordinate to your command, which is a standard military thing. So, you know, who, who do you have relationships with? Well, you know, you're going to have a relationship with somebody who's somewhere else under some other chain of command. And uh, it's interesting to see the dynamics there and how it works in, in uh, Starfleet. I don't know that it would have worked as well, um, even though they introduced those concepts in TNG, frankly. To, uh, well, let me ask you this. As, uh, as cliffhangers go for season finales because there have been two parters well in, in and three parters but as as a season finale cliffhanger where does this rate so the best season finale cliffhanger probably in all of star trek is most both best of both worlds part one correct um frankly i think this one ranks right underneath it i agree um you know there's uh, it has all the things that you you need as a cliffhanger, um, which is you have characters that may or may not survive what's going on, but you have no re uh, resolution. Um, and what I do like about this one, just like Best of Both Worlds, is why I rank it right under it. I don't think the tension is there like there was in Best of Both Worlds. I agree. Um, but right now there is no idea of what the outcome will be for the characters involved the only thing we know that's going to just like best of both worlds you knew that oh they're coming back with another season and the enterprise is going to exist did we know that that uh, patrick stewart was going to continue because that was between season three and season four right and you know at that point Patrick Stewart could have said, you know, this has been great so far, but with all the turmoil that's gone on for the first three seasons, I'm going to move on. And, you know, then they could have brought in another character or whatever. Um, that same thing could be happening with, with Captain Battelle. Uh, we don't know. We know that Pike and the Enterprise are probably going to be there. Um, but, you know, there, there's a lot of questions. We, we and, and we don't we don't really have an idea of how the resolution of the story was, which we didn't in Best of Both Worlds either. We don't know what it's going to take to get out of what's going on. And, which I like, because that, that, my, it, it that's the, the way a cliffhanger should be done. It, it should be that, um, um, there should be some, some sort of, mystery about what's going on so that you build up anticipation for the next season. Now, the sad part is, I'm hoping that my understanding is that before the writer's strike, they had written uh, the like, resolution? Well, they had written like the first six episodes of the next season. 
but they had not started production. So it may be a while longer before we see a resolution to this, um, which will be sad because that's the, that's the danger of a cliffhanger is that if you don't resolve it soon enough, people lose interest and they forget about the story and they move on. Uh, hence what's going on with Star Trek Discovery for those few people who actually like it. <clears throat> Past season two. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't a huge fan of season one. So, yeah, season, season one, I, I, there were episodes in season one, as a side note, that I really enjoyed. I loved the mud episode, or both mud episodes. Um, when they did the, the alternate universe, the mirror universe, that's when I thought the show kind of went off the rails and they didn't know if they were coming back for season two so the season finale sucked because they tied everything up in a bow oh Burnham you're you're exonerated and you're back to being a commander and uh, I, I thought that was completely unbelievable <laughs> somebody starts a war with the Klingons millions of people die hey you know what no oh, harm, no, no, harm no, no foul <laughs> But, um, but there were some, some good episodes in that beginning. I, I even, actually, the, the one episode that I really liked that, that was Burnham and Saru were the main characters was the episode where they beamed down to build the communications relay on the planet and the, uh, they didn't recognize that there was an intelligent species down there and they were using the subspace relay to, to try to communicate with them. Um, so they were kind of stranded there. That, that actually was a decent episode. It, it did some character building. There was tension between Saru and Burnham. I thought that was a fairly decent episode. I won't say it's like a great episode, but it was a decent episode. I would say it was well written from that perspective. Um, but yeah, you're right. There's a lot of season one that is kind of meh, including the, the pilot. The pilot was the worst for me because... Uh, I didn't have Paramount Plus. They so showed us the it. first hour, and I'm like, what the hell is this? Because uh, of the first hour, yeah, yeah, they should have just called that Discovery and left the word Star Trek off of it, because that's not what that was. Correct. It, it, the, it wasn't until the second hour that it really was the pilot of the... That was all background stuff that probably shouldn't have taken an hour. <laughs> But, no, they, they they robbed us of an episode in yeah, that season. Yeah. But, um... So what were we talking about before? <laughs> <laughs> well, Strange New Worlds, yeah. the finale. The finale, yeah. Uh, to me, uh, I, I try not to... Uh, well, early on, I'll read whatever I can get. Uh, but once it's in it, I like to put all that away. So, like, once I know when a release date is going to be for a season to start, I will stop reading stuff and try and, and immerse myself in it. I did not know that this was going to be a two-parter. No, it I got into it, and I'm like, this is kind of running a little long. And then at some point, I'm like, it's running too long. And it's going to, there, there will be a best of both worlds moment. Yeah. And you could see it build to it. And I was like, when I when it got there, I was like. 
Well, I felt satisfied. The other thing that was that I liked about the hegemony episode was it explained the origin of one of my personal favorite characters. Mm, indeed. So we haven't talked about that yet. So you know, and this is a spoiler moment for you. Yes. But if you haven't watched it, but you know, every uh, all the forums and stuff, they've already it's done over. So they're like, yeah, talk about it however you want. So spoilers away. But um, they introduced Scotty, and I thought it was a very creative way to introduce Scotty. And then you also find Scotty's relationship with Commander Palayan, which is great because it explains, it gives more background and understanding of her character and how she relates to these people. And you know, that that's one of the things that we that that is probably the foreshadowing resolution that we see from from. Uh, in Strange New Worlds, uh, in the next episode, is we we know that Scotty's the sole survivor of an attack on the starship he was on, uh, and he escaped via shuttle, and um, that will be the way they bring him into onto the Enterprise. And, and one of the things, so you know, one of the complaints we've had, I'm going to go back to a Discovery complaint, is Discovery has this huge cast of characters. And many of them, they have names, but they've been mentioned maybe once or twice in the entire... Most of the time you find their name out because you see it rolling in the credits at the end of Discovery, not because they actually spoke their name in the show. There was an actor in this last episode uh, who was a, was, a, was a bit player in, in, in this one who actually had a name in Discovery... And I'd never heard of either one of them. <laughs> so I was like, who is this guy and why do I care? Uh, but there's, there's, there was a lot of that. Going going back to that, but I mean, you're talking main characters that even have dialogue in multiple episodes in a season in Discovery. Um, I mean, Strange New World, they have a larger crew cast of recurring characters than TOS even did. I mean, TOS, you had Kyle, you had Rand, um, and that was kind of Well, Rand was even in the in the credits yeah. season one, or her only season. Yeah, Chris uh, Kyle, Kyle got end credits, but he didn't get... Opening credits. Opening credits. Yeah. Uh, Leslie was in a couple. Yeah, there was Leslie... But there, I mean, but you know, they they had a few, but not many. This uh, Discovery, they made everybody a main character. Strange New Worlds, they went back to the the TOS model, but they they're using these people, these recurring characters, more often, and they've expanded the group a little bit, like George Kirk. You know, yeah. he's a science officer who works under Spock, but he's a specialist, and they who who and his specialty is is one that would interact with the command crew a lot. Um, really, Ensign Uhura is kind of the same way. The The one character, the Asian girl who sits next to... Mitchell. Uh, yeah, Mitchell. Which is not Gary Mitchell. Correct. Um, she's recurring, but she uh, she's probably the least of the recurring characters to really have you know, a more significant role, particularly in, in an individual episode. Fact, I really only just noticed her in Hegemony. 
I mean, I, she'd been there, and I, I, I remembered her from I've season one because seen her, but I, I to like really notice her. Yeah, hegemony was the first time I actually like made made note of it. But I mean, you know, they've made her her main character. She's obviously not head of communications as an ensign, um, and, and be, but because they've expanded that cast a little more, they're able to introduce a lot of the TOS people. Now, one of the things that's that's kind of funny is. Uh, scenes where you know new things are, are coming about um, one of the things is okay so now we've introduced Scotty who's left to introduce and they, you know there's McCoy Sulu and Chekhov so Chekhov they shouldn't introduce I at agree. all he, he was he wasn't even in the first season of TOS so Sulu should be an astrobotanist correct and McCoy, they shouldn't introduce. I don't think so either. Because we have of Dr. Boyce. Yeah, they need to introduce Dr. Boyce. I agree. And, and at some point, Mbenga has to move off and Boyce has to come in. Correct. Because Boyce and Pike, based upon you know the TOS, had a very close relationship. More of the Kirk Spock or Kirk McCoy relationship. Yes. But probably even more so. You know, and that would also explain why Mbenga then comes back in TOS. You know, I, 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 if I were writing this, Mbenga is one of the missing characters. Yeah, I know. I would say he got hurt. Yeah. Although I've been saying all along, he's done enough things to to worthy demotion. Exactly. Along the way. Well, that I mean, any one of those is a good enough excuse to explain why he's serving under McCoy. Yeah, in TOS. Exactly. Exactly. And, um, but I mean, there, there's still some excitement and build up. People are wanting those characters. I have a feeling I would, like, I wouldn't, I agree with you. I actually don't think they should, they, they can introduce Sulu because it makes sense. Um, and we know Scotty was there because both him and and uh, Sulu were in uh, yeah. in the, the original pilot. Correct. And um, But I would introduce some of the other uh, kind of oddballs that then show up later, you know. They have mentioned Kyle. Well, he was in an episode in the first, an episode or two in the first season. They haven't shown him at all in the second season. Because they made him Asian, for one thing, instead of being an Australian. I hate it when they Starbucks characters. I know. I, which is I what agree. I thought they were doing with Mitchell until I'm less convinced that that's a that's, that's not a, that's not a Starbucking. That's that's a whole different person, potentially related. Yeah, but not. That's not their plan. I agree. I agree. And then, um, but you know, there's um, we never find out what really happens to Finnegan. He'd be a good one to bring on board, you know, some young ensign who like to play, you know, you want to bring a little levity in, a little lower decks into Strange New Worlds? Finnegan might be a good one to do it. Um, but Decker, Commodore Decker. Matt Decker, yeah. Um, uh, what was the guy, remember, the, Kirk is court-martialed, I cannot remember the episode and the guy's name. Oh, Ben Finney. 
Ben Finney. They could bring Finney on board. They were supposed to be friends, too, yeah. so Well, and that Finney was a sense. lieutenant commander, too, so, yeah. you know, you bring him on board as a lieutenant or a lieutenant JG or, you know, it, it would make sense under Pike, you know. Um, so, you know, there's a slew of characters from TOS that they could give a little more background to and make... But here's the thing about Finney. Finney claimed that he was denied promotion because of a mistake he made that Kirk reported. So you gotta you gotta keep them together. But they the thing is is that you have Paul Wesley's Kirk as a recurring character that right. could happen. So theoretically. Well no 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 I mean so we know that uh, Paul Wesley's Kirk is being trained to be the new XO for the Farragut. Based on season two of, uh, that's why he was shadowing during the Subspace Rhapsody. That would explain his presence on the Enterprise at the time because he was shadowing Una. Um, so then um, maybe Finney is on the Farragut. And, you know, one of the survivors. And because Kirk reports him as XO, which would make sense, he's denied promotion, and so he transfers to the Enterprise to get away from Kirk. I mean, it, there, there's plausible ways to do this. I mean, I'm spitballing here. I, you know, if I, maybe if I was writing a Star Trek book, and uh, you know, I, and I wanted Finney as a character, that would be a good way to to explain why he's on the Enterprise or on another ship or whatever. But so I want to move away from that for a minute. Okay. What else you got? So. One of the things is, so the, the showrunners for Strange New Worlds at Comic-Con, because um, Paramount was one of the few big studios to actually show up and talk about anything, but that's because the Producers Guild had already settled their strike, so so uh, they could come and talk. But um, one of the things they talked about was that, and they and they asked at uh, in a forum on Paramount Plus, uh, or Paramount Plus, Paramount.com, they were asking if we wanted a 20-episode season of Strange New Worlds, which I would, you know, I would like them to go back to that. And it would actually explain a lot of things. If they went to a 20-episode season, Strange New Worlds, Lower Decks, um, it means they could have Star Trek on all year still but not have to produce and manage as many shows. Which I think is where they're realizing they yeah. need to go. Yeah. The, no, the whole I, British model of eight to ten shows in a season and is, is really hard to sustain um, growth in because there's so much of the year and so much other stuff to distract people with that they forget about it when it comes back. I mean, a good example is a lot of the shows on Prime. I still haven't watched the last season of... I don't know if I've watched the last two seasons of Jack Ryan because there's so much space in between seasons it gets caught in my queue and you know and Star Trek is there and, and Star Wars is there and, and then you find yourself knowing that you have two seasons of this show it's going to be a major time suck exactly and you're like no I don't well, have time for that it, it, I mean it, a lot of Amazon shows have been that way for me uh, I haven't watched the last season of, Fabu of the fabulous Mrs. Maisel which is really a good show, and and uh, 
The only reason I know something that went on in the show is because of the whole TikTok dance challenge and every other freaking episode of somebody doing the dance. And so I finally saw a clip of what the, where that came from. It was like, a, I guess in one of the episodes, she appears on a, like a, a, a local Dick Clark's American Bandstand. Bandstand. Yeah. And, uh, and they do this dance, you know. <laughs> and uh, But again, it's one of those, it's like, well, yeah, things have gone on, but there's other stuff that I have priority with. Last weekend, I did devote to two seasons, and I didn't know it was two seasons, or I probably wouldn't have, Joe Pickett. Yeah, I'm. So I've watched the first season of Joe Pickett. I'm two episodes into the second season, and I like the show, but it's like I can watch it in 20 minute intervals. <laughs> you know? It's like, okay, Joe's going to walk out into the forest, and his horse is going to get killed, and he's almost going to get killed, but he's miraculously saved by somebody who doesn't really want to help him, and then he's found by his family. And then his wife's going to get upset. And his kids are going to get upset, and he's going to resolve that, reassure them that nothing will happen to him again, and in the next episode, it Something happens again. Happen. <laughs> I'm just like, okay, uh, you know, the first season, I, I so far, when I look at the, and I know there, Joe Pickett's based on, on books and stuff that I have not read, but the first season, you could kind of put up with that. One, because they didn't do it every episode. And two, the tragedy uh, at the end of the first season. I'm not going to spoil it. Uh, we had Star Trek spoilers, so. <laughs> but there's a tragedy at the end of the sex, second season, and, and and that tragedy is one. They did it so well. I mean, even when I think about it, and maybe may part of my issue with the second season, yeah. they did it so well that I think about it and dwell on it, and I'm like, that's just terrible. Well, see, pull through, because that comes back. Oh wow. It's there's there's major turmoil dealt with and emotional damage that gets some resolution. Uh, I have it's, to go it, it's worth it's worth watching. Now I I've been um, I've been going retro lately cuz you know as things thin out, you know, Star Trek is ended. Silo ended their first season. We are in the middle of Foundation, which is extremely good, uh, and it to a large degree follows the Isaac Asimov books. I mean, I can understand because you, the Foundation trilogy is the original Foundation trilogy is kind of hard to get into from the fact that uh, characters might last a chapter or two because he's covering a huge expanse of time. Right. And so there's not a lot of detail except for the detail around what these characters are doing. And in the in the show, you have to develop those characters so that people are invested in them. So you have to give a lot more detail over time. And So here's my problem and, and the, with and that. The, and the characters can't be... They, they've had to change the story a little bit so the characters are not ephemeral. They're not just there for a chapter or two. That's what I was going to say. I would be interested in seeing if, if a show 
like that could survive that has a rotating cast where potentially you had like I don't know two or three directors and a producer who is totally committed to this concept could they could they pull that off I would be interested in seeing that I, I would too um, but I, do I don't know that I'd want it for like six or seven seasons yeah well I, and I will say this I think they've done a good job in how they've explained it you know the techno babble is, is good um, and they've done a good job not corrupting the themes of the story because a lot of times you know um, they'll, they'll do this and because they need to develop the character over they'll either corrupt the theme of the story because they'll take a character and go this season is devoted to this character and you get invested in that character and then when the season ends that character's part of the story is done that's the way a lot of a lot of but what ends up happening too is that they elongate a story that shouldn't have been elongated. It doesn't move along fast enough. Right. And so people get bored. Um, I th- and I don't see that with this. Um, the, what I will be interesting is when Amazon puts the second season... Well, the second season of World of Time is coming out soon, but when they put out the second season of the the Lord of the Rings prequel series, which I didn't think was terrible, um, but I didn't think it was super great either, but I understand why. What you know, what they're trying to tell, and they're trying to tell a lot of the short stories and make it a series because they, they knew the risk of, of taking a, a short story and trying to elongate it over a series of 10 episodes or eight episodes or whatever just to tell this person's story. You know, this is a, a, a good time to pitch short tracks for other genres and, and, and shows because yes. I felt like the stories that they told in those, you, you wouldn't necessarily... Um, you wouldn't necessarily make a whole episode out of most of those, and some of them were only tangentially related to what was going on elsewhere. Uh, I'm thinking the uh, the uh, Edward Larkin uh, Tribbles episode in particular. Yeah. That one had nothing to do with anything else other than. You know, Tribbles were this thing, and <laughs> you know, this was an opportunity to, to, to tap into that and to bring Archer onto the uh, onto Star Trek in, in a in a way that, uh, and I don't mean Captain Archer, I, I mean the the super spy uh, cartoon Archer. Mm-hmm. But uh, I, I I love those. I, I like them because they're they're short, they're sweet, they. They uh, have a developed story within itself. Now, granted, I think another part of why those were so awesome to me was because we were stuck in diversity and, you know, all these season-long story arc shows that 
were overly complicated and sometimes I, I, sometimes I just want a 20 minute episode just give it to me yeah no I agree I, and you know I the the thing that I and I like about the short tracks is that at least they were a good bridge for these elongate or elongated periods between seasons yeah uh, the thing I don't like about them is that I have a feeling that to produce a short trek, particularly uh, in a Star Trek type genre, it is probably just as much work as it is to produce a full episode. See, that's the other thing I think they got to fix. Because they we, should be, they so, should be, you know, we, they should we, be self-contained so yeah, that they're, they're we, one, they're not budget crunchers, and two, they don't take up a bunch of production time. Correct. So they, you know, they did that whole short treks between the first and second season of Discovery because there was COVID and all that crap. And so they, they they were able to produce some of those. And they were, all of them were encapsulated. And also, even the Discovery ones, they advanced the story. They gave you background information so you didn't need it for the next season. Uh, and then they did the same thing between the development of the first season of Strange New Worlds and Discovery. And then they also did it I, am I remembering this correctly? This is where they introduced Long. Was in a short trek? I don't remember if it was Long or not. No, it wasn't Long. But they... they that was There like, was some security character. Yeah, it was a security character. can't remember um, her name. I don't think they had developed the story that far. Because the only three characters who you know were named initially was Ethan Peck, Spock, Anthony... Anton uh, Anson Mount Anson Mount why can't I say his name I'm thinking Anson uh, Anton uh, uh, Yelkin Yelkin uh, but Anson Mount's Pike and then uh, Rebecca remains Una Chin Riley and uh, so I think this was a way to kind of move the story forward and and stuff a little bit but the other thing that was uh, you know when they did them for Picard it was all background information uh, like they they discussed you know why uh, what happened to uh, cause artificial intelligent humanoids to be banned in the Federation for a period of time and all of that so you know it provided background information that was really necessary that they didn't have to then tell in the story because you know you, you know and waste 15 minutes of an episode to, to give you that that in, that information. Uh, I agree. I don't think the problem I think with the short tracks is they don't do enough of them. Uh, precisely my point. Yeah. We need more of them, and uh, I, I don't even necessarily need them to be on a production schedule. I don't either. Just drop them on, on Paramount Plus when you when you get them done. Yeah. Yeah. I don't need a schedule for that. Yep. Now that being said, I don't think you'll see animated short tracks. Well, I mean, they did do some animated short tracks for... And they were awful. And, but, yeah, they... They that, were awful. That, that, well, that was them competing with Disney Plus, and, you know, because Disney had all the short animations from that... that uh, the Pixar animators were doing, that now none of those Pixar animators work for Disney. <laughs> <laughs> but... But, uh... You know, now I'm... I'm uh, anxiously awaiting now that Star Trek has ended um, 
September we get the next season Lower Decks. And uh, I, I will say this, Paramount is doing a great job of not leaking a whole lot of information. Uh, you know, about the stories and the upcoming seasons for the the Star Trek series that they have. I mean, in reality, we have no idea what's going on with, with Discovery. Nobody does. And that that's the one show that they can pr- show because that season has been produced for over a year. Well, and not only that, but I, I think they've come to realize that... Uh, well, I mean, they canceled it, so yeah. <laughs> they've, they've come to realize this this show doesn't have the same oomph that it used to have. Uh, in fact, it, it got to the point where they filmed the the final episode, didn't know it was the finale. Yep, and then had to go and back, had to go and, back do and do reshoots in order to 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 really get a get it a satisfying ending. Apparently, I guess we'll have to wait and see, but. I, because Frank said he didn't know that that was the, the end. end. Yeah, he yeah, he's the director of that of, the, of that last episode. So, I, I part of me really wanted to see that show succeed. I, I don't disagree with you, but it, coming out of the gate, it struggled. It, it well, the thing is, so you're, you're right. Strange it, new worlds coming out of it is what. Discovery should have been exactly. So I, I I don't I don't view it as a total failure because we we got a spinoff out of it that 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 doesn't suck. Yep. Um. I would kind of feel the same way about Picard if Legacy comes to be and it doesn't suck. Yeah. Picard became such kind of a downer. Uh, and I'm a Borg guy, as you know. I, I yeah. love the Borg. But seeing the Borg in all three seasons, and none of it making sense, together... Yeah. Uh, well, it didn't get resolved until the end of the third season. And then you're like, oh, that's kind of clever. <laughs> but at that point, you're, that's about... Well, I'm already exhausted exactly, by that point. That, exactly. That's your reaction. It's like, well, that's kind of clever. You know, and, 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 you know, the problem I have with the first... I, I thought the first season of Picard had a lot of potential. Um, the... I'm trying to phrase this, and I'm not trying to be... It's not that I don't care about being critical. I'm trying to phrase it nicely. <laughs> 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 but the first season particularly with the Romulans, because they did a great job of, of going off the end of, of the last Star Trek The Next Generation movie and the destruction of Romulus and Remus and the Federation trying to help the Romulans, um, which, you know, was spearheaded by Picard, and then learning, getting a chance to actually learn something about this culture. You know, Klingon culture, we had the entire... We had all of TNG and Deep Space Nine to learn all about the Klingons and even uh, a lot about the various races that were part of the Dominion. Yes. Uh, their culture. But the Romulans still remained this, well, we know they're offshoots of, of the Vulcans and they don't hide their their uh, 
emotions, but again, they were still kind of an emotionless character because a lot of them were played like they were snarky Vulcans. <laughs> That's the way I looked at it. You know, across TNG, Deep Space Nine, Voyager, you know, they, they were kind of that way, and you don't even see them in Enterprise because they they just introduced them in that one episode. Yeah. And and so in Picard, they you know they you start finding out more about Romulan culture and the different sects and all of that, and I thought they did a great job on that uh, in the couple of episodes that they explored parts of that, but then they kind of dropped it, and then they had the potential too. I, I really liked the Hugh story and what they were doing and the Borg being reassimilated as being not part of the collective, but then they create they're creating their own culture because you know. Well, because they weren't being accepted back in by, well, by also, society. And which, also, they were changed by the board. Correct. You know, and then, but once they killed the Hugh character off, yeah, they kind of dropped that. You know, it was like all these missed opportunities. And the second season of Picard is just kind of a train wreck. And, 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 you know, and then you kill off Rios, who was my favorite Picard character, uh, until Jack Crusher came along. <laughs> I mean, he was. I and um, and then you know, you finally had a decent season with season three, which is kind of the same way that TNG went along. Right. And, and you had a cohesive story from the beginning of the season to the end, but then you realize that the first two seasons were set up for the last three episodes of the finale season, and you're like, that's clever. But then you're also like, that's really kind of sucky because you took all this time to tell this story. You know, <laughs> and and uh, you realize how much of it was more of a time suck than it needed to be. I only needed to know two episodes from the second season and half the episodes from the first season. But you know, I lay a lot of that on Patrick Stewart. Yeah. Because you, you, you never knew from season to season, one, if he was going to live, <laughs> because I know Patrick's getting old. Uh, two, you didn't know if he was going to want to do it. And three, I, I, I could have gone all three seasons without Picard. Yeah, I know. His, even though the show is... <laughs> it was called thing. Picard. He had nothing to do with any of it. No. Not really. Um, and that was what was weird about it. But... I mean, I'm glad we got to see seven. Really, I mean, the the second, frankly, from seventh introduction in the about the midway through the first season, through the end, the show was really about seven, and then Jack Crusher, you know, from you know became the the next probably most important character. All the TNG characters, you know, Riker and Troy and Jordy and and all of them, they were kind of. They went from being main characters or protagonists in the show to being fan service at best. Fan service, and and at worst, they were just window dressing to call it Star Trek: The Next Generation. Yeah, you know, you're not wrong there. The only character who I, I think out of all of them ended up moving the story forward and being part of it was Michael Dorn's Worf. 
because he had the yeah. whole substory with Rafi. Yeah. That actually made sense in the third season. <laughs> now, I will say the uh, the next generation character that I loved seeing the most was the Enterprise D herself. Yes. It was fun to see. And I thought the, it, the reason why they needed the D was uh, was relatively clever. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, and what I loved about the, the Enterprise D is as Star Trek, it, it's kind of funny. So Strange New Worlds has changed this a little bit. Uh, Strange New Worlds, you know, the, the Enterprise is... Uh, there is like the bridge has got gunmetal gray that's more of a TOS type thing but the crew quarters and things are light and the walls are white and there's wood inlay and it, it's a warm feeling and the Enterprise D that was the feeling through the whole ship um, because like when they go on the what is it the, the Titan yeah. <laughs> <laughs> carpet yeah. Oh, yeah and then you know and then they talk about a, you know but the Titan's super dark yeah and a lot of the, you know, as they've made Star Trek darker, they've, uh, part of it has been the set dressings and stuff. Well, I, for a while there, I, I got to thinking they were saving money in the budget by by reducing the lighting. Yeah. Uh, there's no other, there's no reason for it to be that dark. No, not at all. Uh, I mean, uh, I watch it on a projector usually, and it's, it's so dark that a lot of times you can't see a thing. Discovery is horrible oh, for that. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, and, 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 but, you know, that in some way, well, it gets tiring, too, when you're having to kind of squint. Even with your yeah. glasses on, you're having to squint at a very bright screen to see detail because it's all in shadow and everything else constantly. You, you, there's a lot of fatigue that goes along with watching the show. And, and well, fatigue is a good good way to describe discovery yeah. entirely, but you're not wrong. Well, going back to what we've said before, my problem with discovery is there is a lack of likable and identifiable characters. When Anson Mount was introduced in season two, they and and, and Spock, they um, they put two characters who were both likable. And identifiable. They had issues that people identify with. <coughs> um, the characters were likable. They made good decisions. That was that's always been my problem with Burnham. Is it's like she's got a obsessive compulsive disorder and manic anxiety. And so, you know, it's not somebody you'd want to be around, much less want to be in command of a ship. <coughs> You know that's uh, that's a that's a very interesting way of, of looking at that series because quite frankly I think all the characters have got some well, the thing that can the, be the problem is characters can have flaws and every character can have flaws and but but they've when, taken when a flaw every, put it under a microscope and expanded it to the point that that's the point of the whole character exactly that's the problem with the Discovery crew you know they're um, and say what you want about the transgender. Who cares about that? I don't care about any of that. But if that's the entire purpose of the character, their character's meaningless. It, they, it's there's there's no depth there. Yeah, exactly. Oh, that's all they contribute. With 
With Stamets, at least I got the fact that he was the expert on this unique drive. Exactly. Past that, I could. I don't care. Well, my favorite character on the show has left anyway. <laughs> you know, outside of, of Pike and, and Una and Spock, who. <laughs> um, but, you know, they, they did a good job developing the Tilly character. Yeah. And. Um, but, you know, they, they. What I liked about her was is they let her grow exactly. as a character. None of these other characters have grown. No. They've, they, they've, they've ended where they began, with the same issues. Yep. Even, even Burnham has the same problems she's had before. Nobody loves her, and the ones that do abandon her. Yep. Uh, the manic depression... <laughs> Obsessive compulsive stuff, it, that's still a problem for her. Yep. The one scene that we've seen thus far for this next season uh, is a perfect illustration of that. She has latched on to this starship. She's wearing a spacesuit for Kranala. They're in warp space. Uh, I, there's no way she survives that. I know. And she should know that. Maybe that's the way they end the Burnham character. I'd be okay with that. I would too. Well, you know, and, and it's... It, the, the funny thing is... But you and I both know that's the that's the opening scene. Of the first episode. And it I, will get more ridiculous from there. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I really question... Whether I'm gonna watch the final season of Discovery um, until it's all aired, that way I can fast forward through all the ridiculousness and get to the end and not waste any time. Because the the problem is, a lot of the problem too is the writing. Wh whoever they have writing Discovery is not of the same caliber as the folks who were writing. Strange New Worlds and Lower Decks, <laughs> and even Prodigy. <laughs> yeah, I would even put Prodigy's writing above Discovery. Yeah. I care more about those those kids that I don't care about than I, <laughs> than I do five seasons worth of Discovery, Discovery cast of a million. Yeah, no, I, I'm with you there. Okay, we've talked for about Star Trek for an hour. We could probably talk about Star Trek for another hour or two. But our fans probably do not want to. What else you got? So, uh, since we're just going to talk about pop culture today, um, let's talk about Ahsoka. I mean, the, Disney is being far less uh, uh, studious about keeping anything a mystery in that show. So, um, we know that. Uh, a lot of the show is going to be Soka against four. There's four different Inquisitors. We're hoping that they they introduce the live action Thrawn figure, and we're hoping that we. Well, we've we've seen him. Yeah. So they'll they'll, they'll actually introduce him, but we're, how but much involvement 
he's yeah, going to have is going to be questionable. At the end of the well, that's finale. that's my that's my that's my question. Yeah, uh, we also, you know, what about Ezra Bridger? We're hoping that we because the tie-in there is that her and and I I don't. The funny thing is, even with the Star Trek stuff, I don't go out of my way to like look stuff up. It's just things come up in my yeah. feeds and stuff. Same thing with Star Wars, because uh, I want it to remain a mystery. And Ahsoka starts here what? To, uh, Friday. Yeah. Friday of this week. Right. But the um, we know Sabine Wren and Hera Syndulla and the Ghost are how she's getting around the galaxy. So they're her posse. There's scenes that have been leaked where they show Sabine Wren uh, sparring with Ahsoka. So we know that uh, Sabine is... They don't... Nothing, even in Rebels, said that she was Force-sensitive or anything, but she's fighting with a lightsaber. You know, and there's been criticisms about, well, that, you know, you're ruining Star Wars canon because lightsaber's supposed to be hard to fight with if you're not a Jedi, you know that kind of thing um, but I guess if you're wearing Beskar armor it doesn't really matter um, and we do know that there uh, there is probably going to be more crossovers both in this first season uh, of Ahsoka and in future seasons with the Mandalorian I don't necessarily have a problem with that I don't either I mean, at least that makes the Mandalorian seem like it has. That's what I liked about Book of Boba Fett. Not that that season was well written uh, by any means, uh, particularly a story about Boba Fett. But I liked the fact that there were ten episodes that included most of them included the Mandalorian. So it kind of and, and Grogu. So it kind of extended the 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 Book of Boba Fett. Boba Fett was treated much like Picard in exactly. Picard. He was a character in the story, but it was really about the Mandalorian. <laughs> Ming-Na's character had more development in that than, than Boba, Fett. Boba Fett. did. Yeah, you're right. The Shinnick fan. Yep. But, you know, that... that that's the only, Right now, that is the only saving grace that's going on at Disney with the Star Wars. Because <clears throat> they're... Um, Disney's got some serious financial troubles. We talked about it last episode. I might recap some of it. Like, they owe Comcast, like, 2.4 or maybe more money, billion dollars to buy out Hulu, which they had to agree to buy out Hulu um, because of their Fox purchase and all this stuff. But because they overpaid for Fox by so much... Uh, they don't have that money, and that's why uh, Bob Iger... It's been confirmed that Bob Iger is trying to shop parts of Disney off. And uh, they're the only people who really have the money that Disney needs is Apple. But Apple doesn't want... I, they, I think they would be interested in purchasing Star Wars, because, frankly, as a property, Disney has... With the exception of the Mandalorian and the stuff that's kind of wrapped around the Mandalorian, Ahsoka, and, and Book of Boba Fett, they haven't really been successful with Star Wars, and they haven't really developed it that much. They did three movies and you know a, a couple of miniseries, 
and the Mando. And uh, so Apple might be interested in, in purchasing that. I don't know that Apple wants the MCU because I think they see, like everybody else, and that there is superhero fatigue going on. And we'll come back to that, so put a pin in that. Um, you know, in my, Apple might be interested. I don't think they're trying to shop off ESPN to somebody else's again. Um, Nobody wants that. No. Well, the problem is, is ESPN's kind of dead unless you're wanting to watch old stuff. Because MLB has their own streaming service, NFL has their own streaming service, NHL has their own streaming service, MLS has their own streaming service. You know, all the major sports have their own avenues, which are, frankly, far superior. And they've cut deals. Like Apple TV Plus, um, I can watch all, uh, all the games on Friday nights. Every, you know, like, uh, what was... Uh, well, actually, they, they've expanded that it was Friday nights only, and now I even get an alert on my Apple TV that says, hey, in 10 minutes, the Reds versus so-and-so starting. And, <coughs> and I don't have to pay extra for that. That's just part of Apple TV+. And they did the same thing with MLS. So I don't think Apple's interested in that. That's why they're not being pitched that. But, you know, they're trying to sell off these properties that they don't see a whole lot of future in. Also... I don't think Apple would be willing to just buy Disney straight out, you know. I think they might be interested in, in getting Fox, but they're not going to pay what Disney paid for Fox, so Disney wouldn't get their money out of it. But Apple also doesn't want the theme parks and stuff. Why would you, as a tech company, it makes sense because they have a streaming service that they might, you know, want these things. But, you know, even Apple, they... they uh, of all the streaming services, um, they contract with all the studios and stuff to produce their stuff for them. They don't produce it themselves. They just want the rights. So you know, if, and uh, so you know, it, it's that's a different thing than what Disney does. <clears throat> you know, I mean, and it is. It's a they overlap in that whole streaming thing. But you're talking about a tech company versus an entertainment company. Now, I have heard related to the, to the Disney thing, two things are coming. One is a, is a rate increase. And two, they didn't learn from Netflix. Uh, the password sharing is going to be an issue. For Disney, yeah, uh, that's two mistakes. You 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 might be able to get away with a rate increase, but if you put a rate increase along with the password sharing, oh no, that's, no, 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 that's you, not gonna that's not gonna fly. No. Well, and you know, and here's the thing I don't understand about the whole point behind streaming was to get rid of cable. Everybody who who wanted to get rid of cable came to do streaming. Okay, now there's enough people doing streaming that cable's now hurting. Well, cable. Well, and you know, cable also changed their business, and it was they didn't understand. It happened to them because they thought they were like broadband internet. They got into it because they thought, oh, it's value add. We're already running cable to people's houses, so we'll get internet. Well, they didn't realize that internet was going to be their number one product. Correct. And 
and then that opened them up to a lot more competition, which they've never had, you know? Yes. And so when streaming comes along, yeah, somebody might use your internet, but they're not, a lot of people are not buying, because who, there's no convenience with traditional cable. Even though they've tried to tell you that, yeah, you can do this, you can pause it, you can watch it all on demand, but I don't want to watch commercials on demand, which that's what you do when you do it on cable. Um, they didn't learn the fact that, you know, in Great Britain where they put a value-added tax on on television because, you know, BBC is run by the government. But guess what? BBC has minimal commercials and shows don't get interrupted in the middle of them. <coughs> Even shows that are produced here, like BBC uh, has been uh, showing all the Star Trek series, the, the old ones, TNG and Voyager and all that, but they show them commercial free. So you watch a whole episode and then there's a little blip for it in the middle to, the, you know, whatever the next show is. But also people... You better describe a blip bird, because so, I know what you mean, only because I'm a Max Headroom fan. So, back in the 80s, there was a show called Max Headroom, based upon the character that they created for commercials. And in the first season, that pilot episode, uh, it's a science fiction show, and there's a reporter, Matt Frewer, who is Max Headroom, played the reporter named Edison Carter, and Edison Carter's investigating... Uh, He's an investigative journalist. He's investigating the fact that this corporately run world, these new super fast commercials, they're super short, but they're super fast on TV, were causing people's heads to explode, literally. And uh, it sounds ridiculous, but it was great. And from then, that, at least in science fiction or, or nerd nerd culture, yeah. we, we talk about blip verbs as being short commercials. And uh, so that's the background. I, I'm sure... I don't know. I guess only youngins wouldn't know it, but... I mean, those of us uh, in in Gen X... I mean, even a, a good portion of Gen X didn't watch Max, Max Headroom. Yeah, we only lasted a season. season. Yeah, it was an obscure show. It was an obscure show. It was one of the best shows. So It was. So, uh, we'll, we'll come back. Put a pin in that, too, because we'll come back to that in a minute okay. or two. <clears throat> but going back to the, the whole uh, Disney thing... So, you know, I said put a pin in, in superhero fatigue and all this stuff. Yes. Well, to combat superhero fatigue, evidently the new Disney Marvel show is going to be like Lower Decks with live action. It's supposed to be silly and funny and have a laugh track and all this stuff. And I'm just sitting here scratching my head going, one, the Marvels were not super, super popular Marvel comic books in the first place. And the people who do love superheroes, because frankly, superheroes is a subdivision of science fiction, you're going to have continuity issues, and so people can't, they can't, there's no suspension of disbelief. And so then people, you're, you're pissing off your, your key demographic for, for Marvel. I mean, yes, can there be comedy? The, the galaxies, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy movies, Yes, there's plenty of room for, for snarky comments and, and stuff like that, but this the story is a serious story, and the resolution and what they do is serious. Making it a sitcom based on superheroes is going to make it 
be loved just as much as the Scarlet Witch. You know, WandaVision. Which was horrible. It was. It was... To, to go five hours into a ten-hour series to get to the fact that, oh, there's something going on And this is all a fantasy. It, it didn't make sense. And it still doesn't make sense. It, it, Continuity-wise, it, it still doesn't make sense. I keep meaning to go back and watch it again now that it's ha- we've had some, some time to see if I still hate it. Yeah. I, I wouldn't bet money that my opinion changes. But there were still a couple of good moments in it. Yeah, there were, but... Not enough. Not, not enough to warn, to save it. Yeah. You know, and and that's the problem too is that, you know, we're coming up. We're going to get the second season of Loki, but it's been so long. It's almost like, do I care? And I loved Loki. That was the problem. I loved it, but there's been so much space that I go, do I care? But this is the problem that I I, I feel we have with superhero fatigue. Yeah. We've retired the superheroes we care about. Yeah. We've killed off Tony Stark and Iron Man. Uh, we let <laughs> we let Chris Evans go as Captain America and we replaced him with a black guy. Uh, well, and, and which I, is which is fine. Which I have no problem with, but the problem is is he was already another character and so now he's this amalgam of Captain America and the Falcon. Yes. And I'm like like this. Frankly, I think the story would have been better is if they had made Bucky, yes. the Winter Soldier, Captain America. Yeah, I, you're not, you're not wrong, man. Uh, they've killed off Black Widow. Yeah. Well, and they they, they killed, killed off Phil Coulson for crying out loud. They killed off Black Widow because of a contract dispute between Disney and Scarlett Johansson. You know what I would have done? I'd have kept Black Widow. Paid Scarlett Johansson her money out and recast her. <laughs> they didn't seem to have any problems doing that with uh, with Bruce Banner. I know. I know. I mean, or Rhodey for crying out loud. Exactly. And then to find out that Rhodey, a- another terrible eight hours of my life that I did. You finally finish it? I did finish it, but it was like. The only reason I finished it is because I'm somewhat of a completionist, and it's like, okay, I'm just, I'm just going to power through this. I did fast forward through a lot of the slow moments. So I, I know I've talked about this guy before. I, I had a friend who passed away. His whole thing was superheroes and the, the Marvel stuff, and he loved all that stuff. And, you know, when when Iron Man first came out, he was like, oh, you got to start reading all these comics. I was like, no, I, I want to stick to what they're going to show me on the screen because I don't want to be disappointed mm-hmm. in what I see on the screen like I do with Discovery and all the other stuff. So I vividly recall my friend Mark talking about Secret Invasion way back then. Not to say that that's anything new because it's, mm-hmm. it's a relatively old comic series. Yeah. So I was really looking forward to it because I was like, this, my friend Mark would be like jazzed that this is finally being made. And then that's what we got. Yeah. If that's so, what so the comic was, 
I'm telling you, my, 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 my dude is, is rolling in his grave. That being said, um, I only remember reading one or two of the Secret Invasion comics. Um, when it happened, because, I mean, it, it, Secret Invasion happened, like, when we were in college. And, uh, but I've read a, a lot of people who... I'm not a super superhero guy. I was more of an X-Men guy. I actually have a lot of the original X-Men comics and, and all of that. Um, I have a few ca- of the original Captain Americas, but the old Captain America comic books, he was kind of a weird character, and the way they did the comic books was like the original Superman uh, comic books. It, it was like short stories, and you know, every couple of pages or three or four pages in a comic book was like a new Captain America story. And... Uh, they were written by different people, too. Um, and I read a lot of the early... I won't say early, early, but, like, the late 70s through the very early 80s Iron Man comic books. Um, and I liked those uh, a lot because that was right during the period where they had introduced Nick Fury as not Nick Fury and his Howling Commandos, but Nick Fury, Head of S.H.I.E.L.D., and and he and Tony Stark didn't like each other and so yeah. there was a lot of going back and forth and the 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 X-Men and the and the those Iron Man comic books were, were the only superhero comic books I really loved and um, which were different than than the way uh, Robert Downey Jr. portrayed Tony Stark um, <clears throat> the antagonism between Tony Stark and Nick Fury in the comic book was not because Tony Stark was uh, privileged and everything else. As a matter of fact, there was there was always this tension and war within the Tony Stark character in those stories about am I doing enough phil- philanthropically, you know, versus versus what we're doing, you know, what I'm doing, and and uh, it was Nick Fury who was the one who was pushing him to be more of a war guy. You know, I need you to. You know, to do all this stuff for the Avengers and the X-Men. Because remember, that's the same... <laughs> yeah. It's not two separate universes. Well, in the, to, to me, if I'm, if I'm, head, of, if I'm head of Marvel, what's going to save us is Fantastic Four. Uh, from what but I've the heard, problem is, they've screwed the casting yet again. Yeah. I don't know how many times you can can make that same mistake. I mean, it's like Spider-Man. How many times are we going to recast it and... Start over. Start all over. Well, and, and frankly, I don't think he made the best Spider-Man. But this last kid who did Spider-Man... Tom Holland. Tom Holland... I liked his Spider-Man the best. I, I loved the Tobey Maguire Spider-Mans, but that wasn't made by Disney. It's right. a different story. Agreed. But the Tom Holland one I really loved, not because of Tom Holland being great at being kid Spider-Man, but there were things about it I loved. He was the first believable high schooler. Even Tobey Maguire was not a believable high schooler. Yeah. Um, I loved how... Tony Stark and Happy were involved in this kid's life. Yes. You know, I, I just thought it was a more rounded story. Um, but, you know, you can't deny that, like, 
the Green Goblin as William Defoe as Green Goblin was not <laughs> one of the best casting decisions ever made in the world. There is no one else who could really play that part. And you know, and uh, I do love the the, the uh, original Spider-Man with Tobey Maguire because of when he gets stung and he's trying to figure out, and they show that process of him learning how to you know, climb walls and sling webs and creating the web shooters and all of that. Um, but all the supporting cast other than the villains in those Tobey Maguire ones are kind of weak. You know, the and and their relationship to the story is kind of weak. Uh, but, you know, I, I guess... You know, they were... They were they were impressionable enough at the time that I still have good fond memories of them. But, like, Andrew Garfield as Spider-Man, I can barely remember what those movies are about. And, the I will say this, the last Spider-Man movie with Tom Holland where they bring, all, you know, Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield come and they... I haven't seen it yet. It's like multiverse. It was, it was a bad movie. It was not good. The best part about it was happy. <laughs> because at this point, you know, yeah. when that movie was made, right, Iron yeah. Man is gone. Yeah. The best part of it is is happy, and uh, I'm just—it's so disappointing. And the, and I, from the pre-screening feedback from people who have pre-screened pieces of the Fantastic Four, they say it's going to be another box office bomb for Disney. But that's the other piece of it. They well, need to recognize that they. Well, here, Marvel has to either be a film franchise or has to be a TV fra- uh, streaming franchise. The the it can't be both. No, it cannot. Well, and here's the other thing. Here's what Disney needs to do. Well, I, this is the biggest complaint a lot of people have with Disney is right now Disney's all about protecting their IP. So they a lot of the stuff they've done, even in the Star Wars piece, like the Force Awakens trilogy, um, uh, all of the live-action versions of Beauty and the Beast and Snow White, because they say Snow White's a disaster, um, and all of them, which have not garnered any great reviews for doing it live-action over what they did, they're protecting, the reason they're doing it is they're about to lose the rights uh, it's and it's going to go you like Steamboat Willie and go uh, where, where they cannot copyright it anymore. So they're remaking all of these movies and they're, you know, the twist is that it's live action as opposed to being animated so that they can maintain their IP over that saying, well, that's too much like our depiction of The Little Mermaid, which which is a public domain book. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Steamboat Willie, their own, uh, the first Mickey Mouse cartoon is a public domain movie. Um, and they're, so they're, they're protecting it. And so Disney's not doing... I, and it's gotten so bad, I don't think anybody at Disney is good enough at creating new stuff. You know, you have little shots of sunshine here and there, like Dave Filoni and, and uh, doing some of the, the Mandalorian and, and the related stuff around that. But for the most part, the talent has left. They bought Pixar. Uh, Brad... Brad Bird and most of the animators have gone and created Skydance Studios. And guess what? Skydance hasn't had a bad movie yet. 
you know, they're making money off what they're doing. Uh, so the people who got left behind were either traditional Disney artists who were hand drawers, which a lot of those, are, you know, are retired at this point, or the people who were really not good enough to do, you know, be at Pixar in the first place. And um, because the few, last few Pixar, you know, Pixar movies, and you can't see me doing air quotes, but the last few Pixar or Disney movies have sucked. And uh, I don't think they have write, enough writing talent or producing talent now at Disney to do anything but try to retread everything that they've done. Because I'm taking this back to what you were saying about Marvel. You're saying Marvel should either, you know, it's, it's either a movie franchise or it's a television franchise. I think that's the wrong way to look at it. I think they need to quit rehashing. I, at this point, I do not want them to redo Captain America and Iron Man and, and all of them again. Because um, I think that's just another... Trying to reinvent that. Um, even, even Fantastic Four... They've tried, or, you know, Fantastic Four's been tried a couple of times already, and it hasn't ever been successful. They can't keep the momentum. I think what they need to do is, let's put all that away. It was great. It lives on as comics. We can resell reissues or whatever. Let's create a movie, a new superhero movie, television, whatever franchise, and use Marvel Comics as a way to extend the story between either the show or in between the various parts of the movies and sell comic books to help develop this and then merchandise it and have something new because I think a lot of this is a lot of superhero fatigue is not just about there's so much superhero stuff which that's where Disney got it wrong too um, it is and they're not the only ones I think Paramount's realized that yeah we want Star Trek on 365 days a year, but we don't want four or five different series running at the same time. You know, two or three is probably acceptable. Because if you really think about it, if they went to 20 episodes of Lower Decks and 20 episodes of, of uh, A Strange New World, you're covering 40 out of 52 episodes or weeks in the year. Nobody wants to show stuff over Christmas. So there's six, between Thanksgiving and Christmas, there's six of your 12 weeks. You know, and summer is also another six of your 12 weeks. Then I'm going to ask, because it's already in development, what are they going to do with the Starfleet Academy show? And they've already turned Section 31 into a streaming movie, which is fantastic. Yeah. That's the smartest thing I've seen from a cinematic universe yet. Yeah. No, I, I you know, I don't have the answers to all of that, but I, I think... That's the thinking. I think Paramount's a little more nimble than Disney. Um, now, where Paramount sucks compared to Disney is they still can't get merchandising right. I mean, yeah. we, we... Sorry. You're not wrong now. I don't want another Star Trek... Uh, you, know, you know, they have their deal with Playmates with the figures, and the figures are... You know, when we were buying Playmates figures back in college... And, when they first came out in the early 90s. Um, and then the Gloob figures before, the Gloob figures were two ninety nine retail. Right. Which we thought was expensive at the time, but that was in line with G.I. Joe and, you know, other three and three-quarter action figures. But the 
the Playmates figures came out, which were much more detailed than the Gloob figures. <laughs> and the Playmates figures came out, and they were four ninety nine, and they were they stayed four ninety nine for years. <clears throat> the new Playmates figures, which I will admit are better sculpted than the old ones, um, but not by not enough. by a lot, are twelve ninety nine a piece. And I hear a lot of people. It's funny because I collect G.I. Joe Classified, and I do collect a select few of the Star Wars black ones. I have Bo-Katan Cries, and I have the Mando. Uh, I have the the uh, the Bad Bunch, or the Bad Batch, I mean. I have all those figures, because those are the ones, the characters I care about. Um, but those are all $24.99 a piece, or if you get one that comes with a vehicle or, you know, or has a lot more accessories with it, you know, they can range up to $50 a piece. But those figures are incredibly detailed. Um, I mean, the detail on them makes the old G.I. Joe Real American Hero figures, you know, look like the Galoob figures compared to the G.I. Joe Real American Hero figures at the time. Um, kind of like the way the G.I. Joe Real American figures changed what was considered a good quality three and three quarter figure because prior to that the best quality three and three quarter figures were the counter star wars figures which were only five point articulation and i know i'm i'm an engineer i get into the details of things um but that being said the differential the 12 dollar differential 12.99 differential between a playmates figure for star trek and and a gi joe classified figure is probably warranted you know, because one, let's face it, we're not selling Star Trek figures to kids. No. We're selling them to collectors like me who want to display them. Although I think they were trying to get a hook with Prodigy. They were, but with that gone, and you can, they did, they did produce the Prodigy figures. I've seen them nowhere in retail. I have, I have them all saved in my Amazon cart because eventually I'm going to you know, pull the trigger and order one set, not a set to open, just a set to keep in the cards. Um, but even that's been hard to do because, like, when I ordered the two Rikers, the TNG Rikers, because the one figure that is so much better than the Playmates figure is the TNG Riker, or the original Playmates figure is the TNG right. Riker. When I ordered two of them, one of them, the plastic was not glued onto the back of the card, so he got open because he was already open. And, uh, but that being said, I also don't want, they, so Playmates and Paramount, because it, it had to be Paramount who decided what figures they wanted to do. They did Burnham and Saru for Discovery. They did Kirk, Riker, and Data for TNG. Yeah, Picard, Riker, and Data. Or I mean, Data, Picard, yeah. Riker, and Data for TNG. And then Kirk, Spock, and Khan for TOS, as, and, but they were the Wrath of Khan figures. And I will admit, those the sculpts on them are better, but the accessories with them are still too big or goofy looking. And, you know, they're definitely not done by, remember Exotic Plastics Corporation that yeah. was off I-75 in Cincinnati, or actually in Franklin? That's who designed the original accessories and figures for Playmates. Uh, you can tell, well, they don't exist anymore, so you can tell the quality is not there. Matt and I had a friend who used to work there. Um, so we, we got to see some of the pre-production stuff 
uh, before it got sent to Playmates. It was kind of cool. That was a long time ago. And, um, but again, little kids aren't playing those. Uh, the G.I. Joe classified figures are very close, if not as good as the, and, and people will argue because some of the sculpts, they, they're like, they put a lot more detail in the sculpts. And I don't think people like the way they sculpted certain people's faces. Lieutenant Falcon is a G.I. Joe classified. He has a big square jaw. And a lot of people don't like that. They don't think it looks like the original figure, so they swap the head with a... a uh, and that's the other thing that Mar or, uh, Hasbro's done, because they have all the Marvel figures. Yeah. The G.I. Joe classified and the Star Wars Black, and all those figures are uh, one twelfth scale, so they're six-inch figures. Well, guess what? They made most of them so that it's easy to pop a head off and put on another one, so you could create new customs. But that's another. That aside from that, <clears throat> but I, you know, they brought these figures out, and Playmates must have made in the original series. They made every version of Kirk and Riker and Picard and Data. I mean, even obscure versions like, you know. Picard and Data as Romulans and, you know, where they were that way in an episode. And um, I don't need another Picard and Riker and Data and Kirk and Spock. Um, I wanted a Pike and uh, an Una uh, and well, that's you the, know, they, an Ortegas. That's and, why they... they when this deal went down, when this deal went down, Strange New Worlds was still on the drawing board. It was. But even the, even for Discovery, why did they do three of the TNG crew and three of the TOS and only two of them? Because who the hell else would you pick from that crew? They, they, they have no names. Stamets. <laughs> Tilly. Yeah. Well, exactly. I mean, but, but that that's my point. They... And, and it's really weird. So, like, Walmart, th this is a distribution model, too, where Paramount didn't think about how Walmart was selling, or how they're being distributed or sold in retail. Um, at Walmart, the Star Trek Playmates figures exist in the toy aisle right next to the G.I. Joe classifieds. But then they also had them in the collector's area for a while, but then they moved them in all into the toy aisle. If you go to Target... You think Target doesn't carry them because they don't keep them with the uh, the Advanced Dungeons and Dragons figures that have come out and the G.I. Joe Classified and the Marvel and the Star Wars. No, they are back. You have to walk into the back of electronics and there's a small section where they have the, the collectible stuff that you're not supposed to take out of the package. And guess what? That's where they have Because that's where I found my data. And I just happen to be walking through there because... Uh, I didn't even know Target had a special area for that type of stuff, but that's where they keep all the Funko Pops and everything. Mm -hmm, like yeah, that. Duh. And like Walmart does the same thing. Yeah, well, well but they didn't have the Star Trek figures; that right. they had them in the toy department. Yeah, you know, and I I do have the Playmates Phaser, which again, once you had let Art Asylum create yeah. movie or or show ready props, that I mean, they even the TOS Phaser in Enterprise was a Playmate or was an Art Asylum. Prop. Yeah. It, they didn't make a special prop. It was that accurate. You know, compare that to the Playmates one, which I will say is a little more detailed than the original Playmates TOS phaser. Um, 
But you, I found those twice, and I bought one of them because I have it on my desk. It's fun to shoot my oldest son uh, with it when he's annoying the shit out of me while I'm working. Um, and uh, there's an Enterprise, again, another Enterprise, NCC, NC, uh, 1701, 1701 TOS Enterprise that they built as ships, which was probably the best part of the original Playmates was just the fact that you could get these ships that had batteries and, you know, would play digitized sounds from the shows and everything and light up and, and all this stuff. But I don't need another 1701 Enterprise 1701 for that, and you know. But you know, a lot of that I think is, uh, again, they thought that they were gonna get new fans, and I uh, that is a gamble that didn't pay off. Yeah. Well, I mean, even the folks who are buying kids are not buying Star Wars black figures. I mean, some kids are. Their parent, their dad, or mom collects them, and so. They're like, can I get one to, you know, because they want to play with it. That's how they get played with. Right. Because um, I go to, uh, I'm a dealer at a, at a toy show, a big toy show. And uh, a lot of the used figures that I buy to take apart and use as customs are from where they've been picked up at garage sales where kids had played with them. And, um, but the, the people who are buying Star Wars black figures and G.I. Joe classifieds are adults. The people who, you know, when 82 and they released G.I. Joe again as three and three quarters, you know, want to collect their the nostalgia from their childhood. Because as much as people complain about a twenty four ninety nine figure that's highly detailed and um, they're paying it. The the original G.I. Joe's are now going for hundreds of dollars. Hence part of the reason I buy and sell at the toy show. Are they doing a play on your video monitor? <laughs> but, but you know that's a missed thing where I where I think Paramount's doing a bad job. But I think it's largely too because they don't understand the market. Who they really have been collectors. I mean, Playmates didn't understand that when they created the first one. So it's yeah. It, it, I know I've mentioned this before, but um, the. Uh, on Netflix, there's a a, a series. Uh, was it Toys of My Youth or whatever? The or the the things that made us, and it's it's really about toys from the '80s that you know influenced the Gen X crowd. And there's two seasons of it. And I mean, they they do talk about some of your standards like Hot Wheels and Barbies. But there's one for GI Joe. There's one for Star Trek uh, because they also talk about. I mean, CBS was really terrible about marketing even back in the TOS days and it wasn't until Marty Abrams who owned and his family owned and he ran Mego Toys did they actually get successful selling uh, Star Trek collectibles and toys uh, because their licensing model just was terrible and uh, part of that was Gene wanted to make all the money yes which Well, and I kind of understand, but also uh, am willing to to place some of the blame there too. Yeah. But and they cover Transformers and a lot of these toys that when I was a youth were were very very highly influential. You know, 
and uh, and there's one for Star Wars too, because that was a revolution when the the original three and three quarter action figures Mego was actually making them before the Star Wars figures came out. They had chips, they had all the movie monsters. Um, chips was a television show back in the late seventies, <laughs> if you didn't know. Um, and there's where the funny thing is their figures were more highly articulated than the Star Wars figures. They were more like the original G.I. Joe's, because that's who Hasbro copied the the basic functionality from. And um, but when Kenner brought out those Star Wars figures uh, back in '77, that that was like a revolution. And you know maybe one day we'll we'll talk about that why we have the different figures. You have the one six scale, which is the twelve inch figures, and then you have the one twelve scale, which is the six inch figures, and then one eighteenth, which is the three and three quarter to four inch figure. Uh, and and there's actually one twenty fourth, which is like the old mask figures, another toy from like, youth in the eighties, um, and and Captain Eagle and things like that. Um, the reason the sizes are different was because it was e the smaller the figure the less detail you had to create but it was also easier to create vehicles and play sets for them because they didn't take up as much room and it was easier to get the figures in and out of them and, but the the one one eighteenth scale the three and three quarter was kind of the sweet spot there was enough detail to make the figures all uh, recognizable as characters or individuals and then the, the sets and vehicles were, were small enough that they could be sold because, you know, through the 60s, they sold these giant sets for G.I. Joe. You know, like the space capsule. You didn't get the whole rocket. You got the capsule because the capsule was so big. <laughs> but I digress. Going back to Disney and selling their property off. Um, you know, like I said, Disney needs to, they need to come up with something new. You know, they had a renaissance. They, they've, and this is the funny thing is, Disney is, this is not new to Disney. Back in the late 60s and 70s, Disney fell into a rut. And even though they did create, you know, some new stuff, a lot of it was based on, like, rides, like Escape from Witch Mountain and stuff like that, that they had at the theme parks, because they were trying to drive attendance to the theme park. And they were easy, the, but the movies were relatively cheap to make, and low budget because they were like live action movies and they just picked landmarks to to call this is Witch Mountain and 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 uh, you know and, and they've had some that success. Was, it was a little hard to do with Pirates of the Caribbean. And, yeah, but Pirates uh, of the Caribbean wasn't in the seventies. But yeah, no. But I, what yeah, I'm getting yeah. at is is that they keep going back to this this particular well haunted mansion. mansion. Which, is which what they're they doing now. Done an Eddie Murphy movie with Haunted Mansion, which was actually fairly funny. I mean, you don't go to the Haunted Mansion movie expecting it to be good. Mm. You, I mean, you don't. You you go to the Haunted Mansion movie to be entertaining because there is a difference between good and entertaining. There are things that are entertaining enough, but are not good. Well, I'll give you an example. I've been. I said earlier that I've been watching a lot of older TV shows. It's not that I'm nostalgic for them, but I've forgotten a lot of them. So I've been watching like Alice uh, mm -hmm. and uh, Alf. Yeah. Because I, I've forgotten. There, I mean, Alf had some super funny moments. Uh, I've been watching Eight, and Eight is Enough. I said that last one because yep. 
you know, that happened when I was, It Is Enough came out when I was like four or five years old, and it ran, it ran until I was like eight years old, so it was something that was on, you know, Fantasy Island, Dallas, all of those were on at that time, but I went back to the, uh, one of them I, I loved, and they only aired six episodes, actually, they only aired four episodes, and then later released two episodes that I think they showed on TV once, and it was a show called Space Rangers. Oh, have you found that somewhere? I have five of the six episodes. Wow. And I have the two episodes that were... Uh, I'm missing, like, episode three. I, I have the two episodes that were not this the, aired. The, this is the Linda Hunt thing, right? Yes. Linda Hunt stars in this Commander's Yes. And, uh, uh, I love that show. Mar- Marjorie Monaghan yes. is a star in it. Correct. Marjorie Monaghan, for those of you who are not involved in nerdism... <laughs> <laughs> why, are you, why are you listening to this show? Yeah, exactly. But might might be listening to our show. Marjorie Monaghan almost was put to Paul on Star Trek Enterprise. Yeah, she but she was it. also on Sequest and a whole bunch of other shows. You know, she was she at the time she was kind of one of those. She was a, like a featured actor who would do like one or two episodes of a lot of of. Uh, science fiction shows so she she was known kind of like Dabney Coleman was in the 80s and, yeah. and everything and uh, but yeah I got five of the six episodes where'd you find them I can't re- uh, reveal that information but I might be willing to share okay <laughs> I don't know but uh, but I, I I actually started watching the first episode again and uh, it is campy yeah, stuff, but that's part of what makes the show good. So the or show entertaining, it because the production values. What's funny is so you can tell this is the Babylon Five era because they were using a video toaster to do the basics of the effects that they had, like when they would go into their their hyperspace uh-huh. subscreen. You'd, they, you know, it's like really really basic stuff that you could do with a video toaster, but they they used it in there. Uh, but it's still, you know, the show, the actual stories were well written. It was just the, you know, they didn't have the budget to do these huge Star Trek like sets. So, so if I'm remembering correctly, when that show aired on television, it was up against some other show on another network like Lois and Clark or yeah, it was, it was something that was like everyone else was watching that. And you and I were watching this. Yeah, no, you're right. Um, but it's funny because I, I had to... I looked it up. And um, it was... Uh, it aired like January 1st. The first episode aired like January 1st of, tw- of 1993... And they showed the first four episodes. It was the first, the seventh, the thirteenth, and then the last week of the month on whatever the day it was. And then it was on Fox. And then they canceled the show. And they had filmed two more episodes, and those didn't get uh, released until the following January. And I, that was because fans had written in to Fox to say, at least let us have the last two episodes. And, and I will say this, over the, the, I haven't seen the last few, but over the first four episodes, the show got better as the characters and people kind of 
understood what was going on. And so it was, I mean, Fox at the time had, you know, look at how many good shows were on Fox, science fiction shows. Because at the time, Fox was the science fiction show, even though Paramount was putting out um, Star Trek shows, they didn't have, that was still the TNG era, um, they didn't have, they were, you know, they were selling new product in syndication. So, yeah, the Fox stations might be showing TNG and eventually Deep Space Nine, but those weren't shows that happened during primetime. It was always like, TNG, I remember, on Fox 19 out of Cincinnati, always came on at 7 o'clock before primetime Fox. And so it was great because you'd watch the next episode of TNG, and then you'd watch whatever science fiction show. But, you know, during that time, what did Fox produce? Firefly came out of that. Yeah, but that only got a year too. That only got a year. But see, what what got Fox involved in it was X Files. Yes, X Files started it, and then also, well, there were they had two more shows that were in that era. That and the the thing is, Firefly was the first one that had really good production values. They had spent some money to get it going, and then they had that show. What was it? Second Earth. Uh. Well, Earth Two or was Earth a two. was a was an NBC thing. Was that an NBC? I thought that was because it, it it was on the same network as as Sequest. That's right. Uh, and it was supposed to be related, but I never, they never really got that far. Yeah, it, it not, not, neither show. Yeah, Earth Two only ran for a year. And there was one other that came out right around that same time too. I actually think Sequest didn't Sequest start in '94. Actually. We have these things that can tell us. Only. And see, I should know that, being a huge Sequest fan. I should have that off the top of my head. I thought Sequest was like 93. Okay, so it would have been contemporary with... Yeah. Yeah, well, 93. Well, uh, uh, 2032 ran in 93. Oh, you're right. Oh, but they're... It's, I hate this. Well, it says 94 for... Oh, well, that's a video game. So, 93 through 96. 2032 20, uh, was in 96. Yeah. It started in 93. Yeah, I don't consider 2032 part of sequence. It's its own show. Yeah. I mean, honestly... Each season of that show was its, its own, own show. show. Exactly, it just had some recurring characters. But the first season of Sequest was good. Everything after that was questionable. <laughs> but they actually—I guess that was the that, idea of the jump the shark from season two to season three. That that third season is better than it's better than, than you the, remember. It's better than the second season. That second season was pretty awful. Yeah. But you know, it's all contemporary at that same time with Babylon Five. So. Other, so the funny thing, what really differentiated Star Trek from a lot of these and, and Firefly was that they used practical effects for most of the stuff. Yeah. Um, whereas everybody else, because it was it was significantly less expensive, tried to use CG the, the rudimentary CGI that was available at the time, and some of it was not even CGI like Sequest. They're. Uh, their radar screens and stuff were like uh, based on video game, you know, video games from the early '80s that used uh, ray tracing, you know, primitive ray tracing. So they would draw like a box, you know, <laughs> and stuff. It, it, it was 
it was weird, but still fun. But, uh, I don't know, I guess we'll leave it there. I hope you enjoyed us rambling about Star Trek and Star Wars and Marvel and, and some older shows. If you haven't watched Sequest, I highly recommend it. Uh, if you haven't watched, even though it was a decade later, uh, the real Battlestar Galactica, uh, not the one from the 70s, that one's, that one's not bad, actually. It's a, it holds up pretty well, too, yeah, actually. The, the 80s one is the one that... <laughs> yeah, Glasgow 80 was horrible. Was, but it's still funny to watch because it's it so is. campy. But uh, go back and watch some of these old science fiction series. And but I'll tell you the one that I because I I think I told you I don't think I told you on the podcast, but I had I was rewatching the the two uh, thousands Battlestar Galactica, and I'm, part of it was is I just couldn't remember all the things that went on. I mean, it only ran for three seasons, but. Then it also had some spin-off series and stuff that happened before and a- during and after, and uh, it really holds up. It not does. A- not only does the the CGI and uh, practical effects hold up, but the storylines are so good and the acting was so good. And you know, and the reason I was started to watch it is because it's another one somebody wants to retread and do over again. And I'm like, I don't know that you can do that over again, as well as they originally did it. Unlike some of the other shows that they're doing that with, uh, what I like about Ron Moore's version is he frequently had his characters say, all this has happened before, in the 70s, and all this will happen again. That's actually I'm okay with that. Yeah. Give it another shot in another 10, 15 years. Yeah. Um, I don't know that I'm quite ready for it yet. I don't know man, that that, that That run was... was uh, you would be hard-pressed to top it. Yeah, it was iconic. And when I originally watched it, I thought it was very... I mean, it's a dark show. It is a dark show. Um but as I've rewatched it, I don't think it's as dark as I thought it originally was. And I think part of that is Star Trek got dark, like Discovery is, I mean, and I'm not talking about the lighting on the bridge. I'm talking about just the stories got dark. And they, they've all tried to one-up each other since Battlestar Galactica. That, now, I will say that the one thing that I, I find endearing about the original 70s Battlestar is the fact that it was a family show. Yes, it was. Where the family was important. And we haven't really had that lost in space. Yeah. The sci-fi remake wasn't bad. You mean... But we haven't had a... Uh, the one with Matt LeBlanc? Or the one on Netflix. Netflix. The Netflix one is excellent. I agree with you. Uh, yeah, the Matt LeBlanc one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, no, the Netflix series was, was pretty good. It was Netflix, not sci-fi. Yeah. Um, you're right. Uh, That's right. You said that and I'm, I'm like, like mm, the that Matt LeBlanc one? That, that doesn't seem right, that does doesn't it? doesn't seem right. <laughs> <laughs> that wouldn't be coming out of, out of his mouth. No, uh, yeah, no, you're right. But that's what I think was missing out of the... I mean, you still had that relationship between Adama and Apollo. Yeah. 
but you did the one thing. But you, they had issues. Correct. And and, and and I don't know that I necessarily need that. There was enough drama going on. You didn't need all that. Exactly. Exactly. Well, I think we'll wrap it up there. So uh, thanks for listening to us. Please provide some feedback. Tell us if you like this. Um, you know, we're kind of an eclectic podcast. We talk a lot about pop culture, and then we'll talk about technology. Well, I'll talk about technology, and Matt will just nod his head and say, yep, occasionally. <laughs> well, I, I'll bloviate, but it's not uh, necessarily uh, uh, contributive yeah. in a way. And sometimes we talk about the politics that wrap around both pop culture and and uh, technology. And, that, and that's when our roles reverse. Exactly. <laughs> and um, so provide some feedback to us at gizmosapiens at gmail.com. That's G-I-Z-M-O-S-A-P-I-E-N-S at gmail.com. And we'll see you on the digital flip side. at our email address at gizmosapiens at gmail.com. That's G-I-Z-M-O-S-A-P-I-E-N-S at gmail.com. We'd really love to hear from you, and we'll see you next week from the digital flip side.